Amen. Man, it's so good to be here to be worshiping with you. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23. If I haven't met you, um, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. And, and it has been, um, it's been an awesome couple of days. Uh, and I'm just so grateful. Uh, Zane Pratt is teaching a class across the street. And most of our missions partners went over there to be a part of that class, which I'm grateful for that. But uh, it's been an awesome couple of days with these partners, and I've just been so encouraged by their work, and uh, I just kind of want to publicly say, uh, I really believe that the Lord is is leading us as a church uh, into ascending time, um, into a multiplying time. I'm so encouraged by Rachel and Allie and Chris and uh, I, I just want that to be so much of the footprint of, of who we are, uh, a multiplying church, a church planting church, a church that's starting new churches uh, in our city and in other cities throughout the world. Um, that's a hope as we look to the future. What, is, what do we believe the Lord is doing kind of next in the next chapter of our church? And, and, and we've been involved with missions and mission sending from the very beginning, but I think in so much more of a, a potent way uh, we want to see that as we look ahead. So I've been very, very grateful for this week. Uh, where we're going to go now, we're starting a new sermon series today, and we're going to a very um, sober place, um, a very heavy place. Um, it's the, the cross of our Lord Jesus. Uh, as we kind of go from this season where we're thinking about mission and the mission of God to look to Easter and, and what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. We're going to be spending the next several weeks looking at the, the seven things that Jesus said as he was on the cross, the seven things that, that Jesus said. And, and actually, in these seven things, uh, they're incredibly powerful. They're not just random sayings. Uh, in fact, in them, we can learn so much of the character of Christ, the character of Christ that, that I hope will really shape our character, it'll shape who we are. So as we think about the Christian life, as we think about mission, as we think about all of these things, this is, I think this is a very valuable thing to, to be doing. The one that we're going to be looking at today from Luke 23, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. But I, I want you to hear it in context. So Luke 23, 26 through 38, Luke 23 uh, 26 through 38. Of course, the gospel writer Luke uh, is writing these things, but he's writing them under the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit of God. And so let's hear together the word of our Lord. Luke 23, beginning in verse 26. As they led him away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country. And on him they laid the cross to carry it behind Jesus and there followed a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren. Blessed are the wombs that never bore, the breasts that never nursed. They will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us. They will say to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? 
Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place, Golgotha, that is called the skull, they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots and divided his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. And they also put an inscription over him, saying, this is the king of the Jews. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, the the image of the cross, it's the most powerful image. It's the most powerful idea in in human history. What is happening is, is incredibly heavy. It's potent. It's hard to think about. Here is God, the creator, the one who rules over all, hanging before men. I mean, just that imagery is is very stunning if we think about it a lot, and there's crosses around, but it's very stunning if you stop and think about it that way. Of course, just the physical imagery of crucifixion is something. I mean, Roman form of persecution that was incredibly brutal. You know, our modern forms of execution are so much more merciful. This was intended to be long and painful, incredibly excruciating. The criminal was nailed hands and feet to a cross and and left there. I mean, the the form of death, the means of death was suffocation. It left there until, of course, he had no more strength to breathe. But beyond just the physical torment of this, I mean, just think about the emotional torment. I mean, there's Jesus. He's all alone. He's betrayed. I mean, he'd given his life to this group, and they are gone. Think of the emotional torment. moment of this. I mean, here he is, I can't imagine the shame, naked, hanging on a cross on a public highway outside of the city. I mean, this is Jesus. This is this innocent man. So there's the physical, the emotional, the mental, uh, the excruciating nature of it. But to really understand the cross, you have to understand what's spiritually happening. It, all of that, in a sense, it was real, it was happening, but, but it was symbolic of the greater spiritual reality behind all of that. That the Father, God the Father, was in that moment pouring out his judgment on humanity on his son Jesus. That, that Jesus, in that moment, the son, who, who had only, by the way, known perfect intimacy, perfect communion with his Father for all time, the first person of the Trinity and the second person of the Trinity, as it were, were at enmity with one another. Jesus, who knew no sin, Jesus, who was totally pure, totally innocent, totally one with the Father, had become our sin, had taken on the record of our unrighteousness, had taken on the record of of all of our disobedience to God, all of our unrecognition of God, all of our self-centeredness, all of our self-righteousness. He became that in that moment. All of our shame, he, he took on our shame, the one who knew no shame, the one who had only, had, had never had an impure thought, became all of our impurities in that moment. 
and was suffering the, the full weight of God's right judgment against all of that evil, against all of that sin. It's an incredible thing to think about. And so I think it's right that we think about that for the next several weeks. And, and these phrases that we're going to be looking at, that's the context. I mean, so the reason I spend a little time there is because the, that is the context. Jesus is on the cross. The, the, if you will, this cosmic moment where father and son are at enmity between one another, where, where the, the wrath of God against humanity's sin is being dealt with in the person of Jesus. This cosmic moment is the backdrop to the things that Jesus is saying here. Now, this text in particular, it's very interesting because Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's this amazing statement of forgiveness that we're going to get to, but it's against the backdrop of another amazing statement. This is why I started back in verse 26. Jesus is being led away to the cross, and as he's going, there's the mourners weeping for him, and just imagine this moment. <laughs> They're weeping for him. I mean, he's the criminal. He's the one that has just been beaten with the cat of nine tails 39 times. He is the one that has just been put on a mockery of a trial that's being spit at, that's been mocked. I mean, he's the one. And so they're mourning for him. And he turns around and looks at, looks at these mourners. I mean, look at verse 28 with me. He turns around and looks at these mourners and he says, look, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. D don't weep for me but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed is the barren, blessed are the wombs that never born, blessed are the breasts that never nursed. He's, this is a statement of judgment. He's saying, look, look, don't weep for me. What is happening here is so vile, it's so wrong. The sin that is being committed right now is so severe that judgment is coming. So don't weep for me, weep for the judgment that God is going to bring. It's going to be so bad that this next part here, it says, they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us. Put us out of our misery. They'll say to the hills, cover us. This is an amazing statement. You have to start. In order to understand where we're going, you have to start here. This great statement of God's justice, God's right justice against this great sin. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 21 of a master who planted a vineyard. And the master planted the vineyard and he got it all in shape and it was all perfect and he leased it, okay? It was his property, but he leased it to these workers and he let them work it. And he had done everything. He had, he had, got, he had dug a well, he had planted the vineyard. It was perfect. It was in great shape for money-making. But he had, you know, was gonna charge them rent. There was an agreed-upon rent price. So he leased it to these laborers. They go out, they start making money on the vineyard and the master wanted his rent. And so he sent his servant to go and collect the rent. And you know what they did? This is the story that Jesus is telling. You know what they did in this story? They killed the servant. And then they killed another servant and another. And finally, the master sent his son. And he said, surely they'll listen to my son. Surely they'll respect my son. And the story goes, if you remember the story, Matthew 21, they killed the son too. And this is what Jesus is saying has happened here. You know, here's the people that God has come to save. This is God's people that God had cared for, that God had loved, that he'd been merciful, that he'd been compassionate to. And they don't even recognize the son. In fact, they're putting the son to death. In the trial of Jesus, 
One of my favorite persons to think about is Pilate. You know, Pilate, not Jewish. This is all new to him. He doesn't quite know what's going on. Why did these people say he's the king of the Jews? Why do y'all want to kill him so bad? What's going on with Jesus? And, and it, it, of course, after he does all this deduction, his wife has the dream. If you remember the story, I don't have time to get into it now, but I, I love thinking about Pilate. He's, he's a very interesting character. And he finally just says, look, I can't, there's no guilt. I don't find any guilt in this man. And he washes his hands. He says, I am innocent of this man's blood. <laughs> if, you guys, if you guys want to do something to him, you can, but I am innocent of this man's blood. And in Matthew, Matthew 27, rather, the people respond. Matthew 27, 25 says, all the people answer, well, let his blood be on us. Let the blood of Jesus, let the blood of this Jesus be on us and on our children. That's the context of our passage today. In a sense, Jesus is saying, this is, this is happening now in Luke 23 after these scenes from Matthew 27. In a sense, Jesus is saying today, look at what you have done. Daughters, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. This greatest offense, this offense of killing God's Messiah, this great offense is now on you. And of course, from that statement, he's strung up on the cross. He's nailed to the cross. And then from the cross, looking at the very same people, he cries out with this prayer, Father, forgive them. So three things as we think about this that I think very much inform who we are as Christians, what it means to be a follower of Christ, who, what the character of Jesus is, and certainly what it means to be on mission for Jesus. Three things. First of all, the power of his prayer Second, the power of his death. And then third, the power of his gospel. So let's talk about the power of his prayer. Again, you, you can't understand the prayer here unless you understand what Jesus had just said. <laughs> he had just said this incredible statement of judgment, judgment that's coming, that should come. These people are doing this horrible thing and the judgment will be so severe that they'll be crawling out to the mountains to fall on them, to put them out of their misery. I mean, that's an amazing statement. They'll be crawling out to the hills to cover them, to, to, to end the judgment that they're enduring. Now, now, the justice of God is one of those interesting things to think about. It, it's not talked about, you know, often. The justice of God, that God will bring about justice. But, but I've said before, and I, and I would say it now, the justice of God is simultaneously, okay? It's simultaneously the most comforting and the most terrifying thought that you could, you could have, okay? And I want to explain that. It, it's the most, it, it is, at the same time, incredibly comforting and incredibly terrifying. Manuel, who we just met, he was sitting back here. He's in Dominican Republic, and he's there in Santo Domingo. And you know what he's dealing with right now? If y'all weren't here this weekend, he's dealing, there's all these Haitian immigrants that are sneaking across the border. They're coming into the Dominican Republic and they're fleeing corruption and they're fleeing disease and they're fleeing uh, persecution from the government. They're fleeing incredible corruption. And they're trying to get a, a little bit of a better life. They're, they're, they're fleeing horrible conditions and they're, they're trying to get a little bit of a better life they're in the Dominican Republic. And he's got all these Haitians that he wants to minister to. But of course, there's, you know, there's a lot of layers there. He's trying to figure out. I mean, you know, we understand some of the immigration issues in the United States. They're dealing with the same stuff in the Dominican Republic. And he's trying to figure out, how do I minister to these people in this context? And obviously, we want to 
help him with that. But, but just think about Manuel. He's a pastor. He's trying to pastor. He's trying to take care of people. And here are these people that have faced, I mean, you can't, I can't even imagine. You know, Haiti, it's, it may be the poorest country of the world. It's, it's certainly the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. But the, the thing about Haiti is, you know, since 1990, if you've looked at the data, since 1990, tens, I mean, tens, I, I know it's north of 30 billion, and I'm not exactly sure the exact number, but tens of billions of dollars have been poured in by other nations into Haiti. I mean, nations like the United States and many others have poured money into Haiti to try to help, I mean, as, as a humanitarian effort to try to help these poor people. And yet, if you look at the statistics for the normal family, a normal person in Haiti, they're, they're less well off today than they were in 1990. There's greater poverty among the average Haitian person. There's greater disease. There's, there's you know, a, a lower um, life expectancy than even that there was then. And so you, you, you look at this and you say, what has happened? And you know what's happened? Corruption. I mean, there's corruption at every level of the Haitian government. It's, it's a There's just horrible things happening. And so the people that really need this foreign aid, billions of dollars being given, are never receiving it. A guy like that, a guy coming from that country, is going to Manuel and saying, why could these things happen? How could these things happen? One of the most comforting things Manuel can say in that moment is, look, (laughs) I don't know, but we do believe, I do believe in the justice of God, the evildoer, the one that has done this to you, the one that has stolen from you, the one that has kept these things from you, will not go unpunished. God is just. God is going to settle this account. And in that moment, that's an incredibly comforting thought. I mean, if God is not just, then he's not God. And if you've never thought of the justice of God as a comforting thing, it's only because you have lived a ridiculously privileged life and you've never actually faced injustice. If you've never looked to the justice of God for comfort, it's because, well, good for you. I mean, you're wealthy and well taken care of, and you're very privileged. You're incredibly privileged. The justice of God, when you have been the victim of injustice, is incredibly comforting. But the justice of God, when you are the perpetrator... (laughs) of injustice is actually terrifying. That God will settle the accounts, that, that, that all of our wrong will be paid for. That's why this text is so helpful, because Jesus is not ignoring the wrong. He gives this great statement of, of justice. Look, God is just. Weep for yourselves. There's going to come a day when you're going to say to the mountains, fall on us. What you're doing here is horrible. It's a great offense against God to kill his anointed. It's interesting, though, that even though Jesus recognizes this, he still prays for them. Now, it's interesting that he's praying. You got to know what he's doing here. He isn't saying you are forgiven. He's praying that they would be forgiven. That's interesting. Because Jesus does have the authority to forgive sins. Mark 2, remember the story? If you've gone to Sunday school, if you're a Christian when you grew up and you went to Sunday school, we all probably acted this story out, you know, where you, you carry your buddy around on the mat and you like lower him down. It's the story where the guys, they, 
they had their paralytic friend and they lowered him through the roof. Remember this story? It's in Capernaum, the house is crowded. They, put, they dig a hole in the roof and they lower him down. And the first thing Jesus says to him, this is Mark 2. You know what the first thing Jesus says to this guy? He doesn't heal him. He just looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody was like, <laughs> you know, all the Pharisees, all the teachers, all the religious people like me, all the smart religious people are like, wait a second. The systematic theology is wrong here. You know, only God can forgive sin. And of course, they were right. Jesus is God. He can forgive sin. He did have the authority to forgive sin. And not only did he forgive the man, he also said, pick up your mat, walk, and he did. Jesus does have the authority to forgive sin, but here he's not, he's not saying they are forgiven. He's praying that they would be forgiven. And what's so interesting is he's actually praying in the same way that he taught others to pray Remember the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray. This is exactly what he's doing. This is, he's living out his own sermon. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And here he is showing that he is the true Son of the Father in heaven by living out this teaching by living out this command. He's pleading with the Father to those that are persecuting him, to those that are putting them, him to death. Father, Father, forgive them. They don't realize the depth of their sin. They don't realize what they are doing. And here's the good news for us. Here's the good news for us. People like us who don't realize the depth of our sin. People like us who don't realize what we do when we sin against God. The Bible tells us in the same way he is pleading for them, he still pleads for us. Romans 8, Jesus is even now at the Father's right hand making intercession for those who believe in him. There's this great song before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea. It's not my righteousness but I have a great high priest. I have someone who's going in between for me, a great high priest whose name and love, name is love, whoever lives and pleads to God for me. Father, forgive them. The wonderful, merciful Jesus who's pleading for the very ones who are putting him to death. Now, this brings up the nature of forgiveness. You know, forgiveness, it's one of these things. I've, I've been reading, there's a lot of papers that are being published recently in, in articles about just this forgiveness culture. And so on one side, I think we've understood forgiveness like this, to minimize the offense, to minimize the offense. Ah, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Don't, don't be so upset about it. Let the offense go, right? Forget about the offense. Don't worry about the offense. It's, it's only hurting you to worry about the offense, right? It's, we kind of minimize the offense. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about a thing, right? Every little thing's gonna be all right. We kind of have the, this Bob Marley view to offense, right? Just don't worry about it. You didn't kill anybody, right? Don't worry about it. But then on the other side, again, there's a strong critique of forgiveness culture. And people are saying, well, no, it's, it's this forgiveness culture that's let the abusers go for so long. It's this forgiveness culture that's allowing people to take advantage of others. No, you don't need to forgive. They need, they need justice. They, 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 they need to pay out what they Deserve. We, we can't let these abusers continue like this. We've got to deal with it, right? On one side, we're too passive. On the other side, we're so 
hard. So what is forgiveness? And again, that's why this, so pat, this passage is so helpful. I mean, Jesus just says this incredible statement of judgment. Weep for yourselves. You're going to be crying out to the mountains to fall on your head. So, so on one side, he's not making less of the offense at all. It is a severe and heavy offense. Yet on the other side, he is saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. You see, a debt is only really paid for. A debt is only really forgiven when it's paid for. I mean, that's, that's, that's real. A debt is only really forgiven when it has been paid for. Uh, you know, uh, if somebody does a great crime and they have to go to jail, what do we say? You know, they've, they've served their time. They've paid their debt to society. They have, they have, they have incurred a judgment for what they've done and that person is free and, and that person's reaccepted into society. But they had to pay for that. There was a, there was a price, if you will, for that sin. And, and thus there was forgiveness. Thus they paid their debt to society. And, and a debt, in order for forgiveness to really happen, it can't be minimized. It has to be rightly paid for by the perpetrator or by the forgiver, <laughs> by someone else. The debt has to be fully paid. You know, sometimes there's folks here that, you know, you know we have folks in our church and people, they'll come up a little short we have a benevolence fund. There's a lot of generous people in our church. We said, hey, if somebody comes up short on their rent, somebody can't pay a bill, and they'll come to us and say, hey, I'm really short this month. Can you guys help me out? And, and because of other generous people, we'll say, yes, we can pay your rent this month. We can take care of your rent for you. It's not that that rent was lessened. It was just paid by someone else. Someone else stepped in and forgave the debt, but they forgave the debt by paying. The amazing thing, what's happening here, and this moves us to our second point, the power of his death. Jesus is calling out this great judgment against these people. Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. These are the people that deserve judgment. But what do they get from Jesus? They get this plea for forgiveness. Father, forgive them. And the power of this moment, I don't miss this. Hear this if you hear anything. The power of this moment, this very moment, is that these people that deserved judgment, these people that are committing this horrible crime, I mean, putting to death the very Son of God. I mean, who, who has on their record anything like that? Right? They're putting to death the very Son of God. These people that deserve this great judgment, the power of this moment Jesus had just spoken of their judgment, and now he is praying for their forgiveness, and he is dying so that they could be forgiven. This is the power of the death of Jesus, that these people and all people, the worst thing that they've ever done, through the death of Jesus, because he was willing to pay their debt, because he was willing to take on their judgment. Uh, forgiveness can only happen when a debt is paid. And that's exactly what is happening here. Jesus, don't you see? Jesus has just said, these people, such a horrible things happen that they, they, they'll be crying out for the mountains to fall on them. They'll be crying out for the hills to cover them up. Don't you see what's happening on the cross? Is Jesus is the one whose the mountains are falling on him. 
and the hills are covering him. Jesus is the one who is taking on the judgment that he had just spoken against them. And while he is taking on their judgment, he's crying out, forgive them. In a sense, he's saying, on behalf of what I am doing for them, forgive them. Don't you see? The very ones that he's just cried judgment upon, he's crying out for their forgiveness and dying the death that they deserve to die. Providing the means for their forgiveness in his own death. This is the power of Christian forgiveness. That we trust in the debt being paid by Christ. The Christian gospel is this good news message that we don't have to pay for our debts by ourselves. If we did, if we had to pay for every debt, every offense that we had before God, we could never enter into a relationship with God. We'd be outcast from God. We'd be put away from God. But what we believe is that in Christ, by his death, he has been put out. He has been struck down. The debt has been placed on him. He has paid the debt so that we could be brought in. The amazing message of the Christian gospel is that we don't pay for our debt, our sin, by any righteous deed that we have done, but that we trust in the fact that God himself was willing to pay for us, that God himself has paid for our debt against him, that the, that the debt was paid by the very one who we have offended. <laughs> Do you believe that? that? The very one that you have offended, <laughs> the very God that we've sinned against has paid for our debt. And of course, Jesus didn't stay dead. He overcame death. That makes the power of the gospel, that's our third point here, even more potent. That the most amazing thing has happened. I want you to hear this. I don't know how you came in here today. I mean, some of you, I know you've come in here with shame. There is something on your conscience. There's something on your heart. You know it's not right. It makes, it's, it's this very thing that kind of makes it uncomfortable for you to go to church. There might be sexual sin in your past. There might be dishonesty in your past. You may have treated someone in a way that you're ashamed of and you want to make it right, but you just don't know how to make it right. Some of you are here today just in the shame of your own self-righteousness. You know you're a hypocrite and you don't know how to settle it. <laughs> You, you, you live torn every day, every night. Some of you are here just in the a shame of your own self-centeredness. You know you basically only live for yourself. And you don't know how to free yourself from that. How to actually love others. How to actually love God. Those things, you know that you're supposed to do that, but you, you don't, if you're honest. You live in the shame of that. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. Here's Jesus. Here's Jesus looking at the very people that have mocked him. The very people that have scorned him. The very people that lied about him. The very people that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. The very people that literally strung him up on the cross. Here's Jesus looking at these people. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them on behalf of what I am doing for them. I want you to hear this. I don't know how you walked in here today but nobody walked in here with the death of God's anointed on their hands. And if Jesus can look at them and say, Father, forgive them, if Jesus can die for them, if his, if his death 
satisfies their sin, then it satisfies yours. If he can forgive them, then he can forgive you. (laughs) And he does forgive you. That is the amazing offer of forgiveness in Christ. Our, Our forgiveness, again, is not based on anything you've done, but it's based on what he has done. Do you believe that? This is the power of the gospel, that God has canceled our sin in the person of Jesus, that Jesus came to to give himself fully for us. And so now we can be restored to God, and not just restored, but, but literally called the sons and daughters of God. The Bible says that God desires to give you every spiritual blessing. The Bible says that God desires to commune with you and know you and lead you in all righteousness and change your heart. If you believe this, do you believe this? The Bible says that God has an eternal inheritance for you, a home for you forever, where where things have been made well and right, where there's peace and wholeness. Do you believe this? Don't you see what Jesus came to do? He, He came to seek and save the lost. He came for the person that was the farthest from his kingdom. Here he is, and he doesn't make less of the judgment. I mean, please don't miss this point. He's just said, daughters, weep for yourselves. And then yet, the judgment that they deserved, he was willing to incur. So that while he's on the cross, he can can pray this prayer that the father, because of his death, answers, Father, forgive them. And he prays the same prayer for you. Before the throne of God above, I, Jason Dees, I have a strong and perfect plea (laughs) It's not my own righteousness. It's not, I, don't, I, don't, I have no standing before God. I, I'm just going to tell you, on, on my righteousness, on in, in my behalf, I, there's no way I would stand before God. I mean, what have I done? God knows everything about me. He knows, he knows the inner darkest secrets of my heart. There's no way I could stand before a holy God. But I stand before him not because of my righteousness. I have a strong and perfect plea. I have a priest, Jesus, who stands between us. And I love as the song says, whoever lives, whoever pleads for me. As Romans 8 says, he, he stands at the Father right now, interceding on my behalf, on my behalf. Father, forgive him. Father, forgive him. I know he messes up. I know, he's a, I know we should have chosen a better guy to be a pastor of a church. But forgive him. Forgive him, be merciful to him, be merciful to him, not on his behalf. Be merciful to him on my behalf, Lord. Here's my wounds. Here's what I died in his place. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's how you stand before God? Forgiven, righteous in Christ? Do you believe that Jesus has loved you like this? Have you seen the glory of his life? That he lived in righteousness, that he never stepped outside of the Father's will? Have you seen the glory of his death? the death that we all should have died, he has died on our place. The hell that we deserved, he has been, he has endured for us. Have you seen the glory of his resurrection, that he didn't stay dead, he, he overcame death. And even now he's preparing a place for you. Have you seen the glory of his power, of his reign? Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Do you believe it? Are you a Christian? Are you following him? You know, Christ's covenant is not a great church for people that just want a nice little motivational thought. And I don't even want it to be. But I want it to be a great church for people that believe that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is their only hope, that Jesus loves them, and that in him we can know God. In him we can actually have a life that's eternal. In him we can have a life that means more than just, you know, 80 years and a nice 401k 
that we can live for eternal purposes. We can know God. And if you really believe that, if you really look to him, if you really know God through him, then you will, by necessity, be called to his mission. And his posture here, I mean, the reason this is important to talk about today, because his posture here, how he is here on the cross, totally changes the way we think about mission. If you really are following, if you've really seen him, we've, you know, we talk about give, pray, and go. It, it changes the way you go. Do you go like him? <laughs> do, do you have the kind of mercy that he has? I mean, when, when you go out and, and into the world, when you think about people that don't know God, when you, peop- when you think about people that are, that are bearing sin in their own conscience, do you, do you go like him with his kind of mercy? Do you give like him? I just want you to hear this. The kingdom of Christ goes forward. How the kingdom of Christ has gone forward, it's always gone forward by sacrifice, not triumph. That might be bad news for you, but it's just true. Just read church history. The kingdom of Christ goes forward by sacrifice, not triumph. It's not people who come in with a triumphant sword that advance the kingdom. It's people who go forward like Jesus and like his followers. I mean, I think of the follower Stephen. Acts 6 and 7, read that for homework. This follower of Jesus who so embodied Jesus, he started praying like him, he started preaching like him, he started living like him, he gave his life. And that sacrifice led to this massive expanse of the gospel. Is that how you give? Is that how we are? And then it frames the way that we pray. Do we pray like this? Do we pray with the mercy of Jesus? Do we pray for others with the compassion of Jesus? There's this old adage, and you've heard it before, but you know, if God were to answer all of your prayers, would the world change or just your world change? That's very convicting. <laughs> how, many our prayer, how many of our prayers are, God bless me, take care of me, make this person like me, make this person do this for me, now, a few of our prayers are, Father, forgive them. On behalf of me, be merciful to them. Show them love. Bless them. Let me sacrifice. Let them be blessed. This will change the way we understand the mission of God. Do you believe this? Have you seen Jesus in this posture? Are you following him in this way? Let's pray together. As we close, I want you to think about these missionaries that were just here, and and I want you to think about friends, neighbors, loved ones, the nations, cities that you care about. Maybe you think about their work, places like Santo Domingo and Paris and Kobe, Japan, right here in Atlanta. As you think about them, as you think about these places God's called to service, we don't want to think about it as their work. It's really our work through them. And so I just want to lead you in a moment just to to ask God right now to move. Just to ask God to move, just to plead with him. Maybe it's for an individual. Maybe it's for a city. Maybe it's for a church plant, but I just want to give you a moment to ask the Lord to move.
As you think about how our Lord gave, I have a bold prayer for you. You may not be willing to pray it, but would you ask the Lord to give you such a sacrificial heart that we'd give to others, we'd give to the kingdom of Jesus, that we'd live generous and sacrificial lives. We would believe that most of the time, good comes to this world and the kingdom of Jesus advances not through our triumphs, but (laughs) through our sacrifices. Would you ask God to give you a sacrificial heart, make you a sacrificial person in the way of Jesus, the way of Stephen, his follower, so many of his followers throughout the generations, the the centuries. And would you open your life right now? I I do just ask that you would open your life right now to the Lord and just say, Lord, what would we? And I love the line from Jordan's song, All I Have is Christ. It says, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. You know, if Jesus has really done this for us, if Jesus has really cried out for our forgiveness while he was paying the price for our forgiveness, then would that be your prayer? Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. If, if, if the debt has been paid by Jesus, you have been ransomed, you've been bought with a price, let this be your prayer. Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. Father, I pray these things will be real to us today. I pray against, Lord, our, our love of comfort, our love of self, to the point where we ignore others, we ignore you, we ignore what you're doing in the world, we ignore your mission, Lord. I I pray that you would shape us, you would shape us by the person of Jesus. You would shape us by this posture that we see in Luke 23. Father, shape us like this. And then I know we will be obedient. We will take the Great Commission seriously. We will live holy lives. We will love one another deeply. Shape us by this. I ask and pray for Jesus' sake. And in Jesus' name.